When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No credentials. Rolling Stone. Greatest album. I'm curious, though. Uh, you know, we have. It's been probably a decade since the two of us were even in the same room. I'm curious sure. uh, how your life. Uh, got you to Fuller Seminary and what it's been like since then and sort of how you introduce yourself these days. Oh, that's, that's, yeah, that's a podcast in and of itself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How, you know, how I got to Fuller, that, yeah, it's a, that's a long story. Um, (laughs) But uh, suffice to say, um, I, I, I never planned on, uh, a career in higher education but I wound up at Fuller first as a student because I was trying to work out some uh, theological questions um, oh yeah and um, I didn't I wasn't really thinking about getting a degree so I wasn't like oh what school shall I go to it was really are there any close <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and I went there and uh, I, I, I sort of said look uh, whoever it was, I, you know, academic advisor, I'm, I'm trying to answer these questions, you know, do, is that possible here? And I was like, of course, I, I thought they were being very personal and going, oh, of course you can. Um, <laughs> which, <laughs> uh, but to be, to be fair, and this was the great thing uh, about Fuller, particularly um, when I, when I was first there, was there was a lot of uh, openness and fairly quickly, um, I sort of found my way to some people um, who were diametric. I mean, when I showed up at Fuller, um, you know, I was a long haired. I don't know what I was, but um, I, there were a couple of people. Wilbert Schenk was one of them and uh, Eddie Gibbs, who was English. And uh, they were really sort of open and looking for people, really, I think, who, who were asking some of the questions that I was asking, which which had a lot to do with not only, you know, general sort of frustration with business as usual about Christianity, but, but searching for a sort of deeper theological perspective on, mm. uh, on life and all of that kind of stuff. And, and actually trying to undo most of the reasons that a place like Fuller even existed, um, at, <laughs> least un, at least undoing it in my own, in my own, my own thread. And I didn't go there as particularly as a, uh, and evangelical either. Some of that stuff was actually quite new to me. I, I'd never kind of aligned with anywhere, particularly at that point in time. Most of the stuff I'd done had been within fairly independent environments. But bef- by the time I was done with my MA, I was teaching a class with a professor of record. And, <laughs> uh, and then it just sort of went on from there. So uh, it was a very transitional thing. And, you know, it was one of those things where 
I think timing played a a, a role. And so um, I, it was it was an interesting time for me at Fuller. I mean, I, I my my philosophy was always um, there's a big difference between dissent and disloyalty. And I, I, I felt that space had been made for me, um, particularly mm-hmm. in, in the realm of theology and culture, which is where I did most of my sort of work personally, but also teaching-wise. Um, but I also parted company um, on, on many sort of theological issues. Um, and, I, and I felt that um, it was important to be loyal to a, a place that had been kind and gracious to me. But I didn't have to um, agree with uh, everything, which which made for interesting conversations both with faculty and with students quite often. Mm-hmm. Um, vol- volatility characterized my early teaching years. Yeah, um, and uh, but it but it was you know it was it was uh, all in all it was uh, a fantastic experience, and uh, I I mean I I tried to honor what they were trying to do without um, letting go of the things that I was interested in. And I tried, you know, I'm, I don't, I've never really regarded myself as an evangelist. So I didn't feel that it was my job to convert people to anything. I, I was just interested in um, helping people to think through <laughs> what they believed, what belief might even be and uh, why they believe so strongly in something that maybe they'd never really thought about <laughs> and, uh, and whether or not they changed their opinion um, wasn't, that wasn't my concern. My concern was that I, I you know, cause I think it, it's a graduate school. So going there with crystallized ideas and expecting them to be affirmed is a little naive, but um, mm-hmm. that's one of the, one of the challenges I think with uh, Christian educational uh, institutions of all kinds that you know they they feel the need to protect and preserve um, the past sometimes in a in a way that inhibits uh, real engagement. Yeah. So you know, I was just interested in in um, creating spaces where people could freely uh, explore the things that they wanted to explore because what I've discovered pretty quickly was that more probably more than half of the students that I ever encountered were in some kind of uh reforming of pretty much their entire perspective on life uh, and trying to work out you know what the heck um it was all about if anything and uh I I sort of thought well there need to be spaces and there should be spaces in um rigorous academic environments where you have the freedom to to say and think and explore anything and everything in the cause of working out um, what that might be for your life. So um, I was there until uh, actually a couple of years ago, but um, I I moved back to uh, London. Partly, it was partly some family stuff, but it was also, I just really wanted to mix up my life. I'd been in Los Angeles for a long time and, and I've always done more than one thing. Um, so I was also teaching at an art school um, at the same time I was teaching at Fuller and I was doing music and uh, I was involved at one point in fashion and I had sort of various 
communities of uh, deconstructed church um, along the way. So um, I don't know. So now I'm in London and how do I describe myself? Um, I, uh, <laughs> I'm up in the air, not holding balloons at the moment. <laughs> Which seems uh, fitting for someone who likes to lean into the questions. I mean, I think, exactly, yeah. I mean, I think that was the posture that you demonstrated as a professor, you know, we're not we're not here to convince each other of something, but what are the big questions that we've got in our minds? Yeah, um, I think that's I think that's a really important a really important thing, and and, and I think that's one of the contributions that uh, popular music has given yeah. actually to the culture in general, and um, what and it was why on some level um, I thought it was a both an interesting and an important kind of topic because you know um, lots of places lots of theological schools were starting to do stuff with like theology and film or religion and film and stuff like Mm -hmm. that and you know always going oh let me tell you how you know how you can find Jesus in this film Um, but I've actually felt for a long time that one of the and I didn't mean that. I don't mean that completely derogatory. Just a little. Um, <laughs> it's okay. No, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, well, it's okay. You know, well, you know, it's it's uh, film is a great medium, and I think it's an important cultural medium. But I I, I think that the the dominant uh, medium of emerging youth culture, at least uh, until the dawn of the 21st century, was popular music, and it probably still is. And it yeah. got very little attention other than being kind of vilified, demonized uh, and and rejected in, in favor of naff Christian music that was right. essentially appropriation of form without understanding of actually what, what was going on in the music. So, um, and, and music was always, I mean, I, I, I've said on many occasions, if I have a church, music is my church. And it's not church music, so, um, so um, music is music has always been the the space for me to kind of think, and and I and, it, and I think even the way I do theology is, in some ways, kind of influenced by, yeah, not only the environment of um, popular music, um, but also the kind of rhythmic you know i i look for the sort of if you like for the beat and the melody and the rhythm of things and and also for the emotional arc that you find in the stories rather than the the relying on the sort of rational approach because you know mm-hmm. pop music um is uh, uh an emotional environment not a kind of didactic propaganda tool but it's it's also super threatening too, right? Like the reason we whitewash music and Christianize it is because of the questions that it asks, right? Like that's oh, absolutely. That's how you well, start stripping it, down you know, your theology. <laughs> exactly, and it's yeah. not just. I mean, you know, it, it's it's also. I mean, you know, um, the the Soviet Union and and, uh, and China. You know, when they were like fully communist, you know, you could go to prison for owning western rock music because they thought yeah. it was as da- as dangerous as as any political ideology mm-hmm. um because it galvanized people and uh created a space and uh it was symbolic you know and you had a, a high level of subjectivity so you kind of are 
personally empowered through it. So, um, yeah, dangerous. I mean, <laughs> all those preachers wailing on about, you know, beats and uh, lyrics and Marilyn Manson and <laughs> never yes. ends. I mean, it never ends. Look at, I mean, look right. at this weekend at the Super Bowl. It wasn't so much about <laughs> the music, but but it was about, you know, the performance of, uh, of women, you know, apparently yeah. way too sexualized. And uh, how dare they? How dare they? You know, it's okay for like guys that weigh three hundred pounds to like beat the crap out of each other, but, um, and you know, and we can you can sell you can sell you know hot barbecue potato chips all the day long, but God forbid you know <laughs> some some women express some kind of uh, empowerment. However, you feel about that, you know what I mean. That's but anyway, right. so yeah, yeah it's yeah. a volatile it's a volatile topic. <laughs> Um, and probably no more more volatile than with the sex pistols. I was going to say that's a good segue. <laughs> um, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really interested in. Uh, oh man, I could talk for days. I think about theology and music, but I think we do probably yeah. need to get rolling into the the reason that we're here. But one question before we move on from my sure. trip down memory lane, I'm pretty sure you told us uh, or introduced us to perhaps a Dylan song that. I think you described as a more powerful hymn than anything that's ever been sung in the church. But for the life of me, I can't go back in my memory to know what that song was. And maybe it's something that I've made up. Maybe it's something a classmate said. Um, but does anything come to mind immediately about a Dylan song that you might hold in really high regard when it comes to um, spirituality? Well, I, I, well, I, th- I think that I think there are probably kind of many, but, but I think, um, it might have been "I Shall Be Released," I think. Okay. But I, but I, but I, but I'm not really, I'm not really sure. I mean, you know, <laughs> you could, you could kind of, you could kind of pick any Dylan song. Sure. But, <laughs> just say it with confidence. <laughs> yeah, just say it with confidence. You know, like "Lay, Lay, Lay." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I, and you know uh, what I said ten years ago, I may not say today. <laughs> But, uh, in right. fact, I definitely, I definitely wouldn't, even though I'd still put a Dylan song in there. But probably, I think the point I was trying to make with a statement like that had more to do with um, the way in which you experience something um, of maybe, a, a, I guess you could call it, a form of transcendence um, mm. within pop music and maybe within somebody like Dylan that actually has uh, an effect outside the domain of religious space and yet mm. accomplishes similar dynamics. I mean, I, you know, I think that's one of the things, again, you know, music is music. And uh, I think a mistake that people make sometimes is um, they think that music, that religious music is the only kind of music that has the potential to invoke the religious in people. And I actually think that in our time, the opposite might be true. Hmm. I, I, in fact, I, I, I used to say all the time that you don't actually need to play crap worship songs. You can just let pop stars do your worship for you because it would be much more effective, I think. <laughs> But that's probably uh, a topic for an, that's a, that's album 501 on the road. Yeah. <laughs> if you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, 
or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.